Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We are, today is Tuesday. We're doing this on a different uh, different day of the week, still trying to kind of get our footing after the uh tectonics and uh, fireworks of the last week is one week ago that we were all uh, waiting in that sort of calm before the storm that you have on the day of an election when all of the all of the news and all the actions are done uh, but you're not going to kind of know what know what happened until you know until the evening and you know it used to be on these days that People be waiting for exit polls and sort of anecdotal information about turnout and stuff like that. But over the last 10, 20 years, we've all learned, at least those of us in the news business, that all of that, all that stuff is bullshit. <laughs> and it really tells us nothing at all. And in fact, what we learned this time is that the stuff we, we're finding out at 10 and 11 p.m. on election night, may not mean anything at all. I'm remembering back that, you know, uh, I guess mid-evening, I was the TV part that I was, you know, to the extent that I was watching TV, I was watching CNN, and you have John King saying, man, you know, Biden killing it in Ohio. This looks good for the upper Midwest. If he's if he's already like gonna win Ohio, it's really, you know. So obviously that that was just a total mirage and meaningless. Uh, I think in the final final vote in, in Ohio was pretty similar to what it was in 2016. So what, like a, like a five, six, seven, eight point margin, like, a, like, you know, not even close, not a, not a, it's not a, a, a blowout state yet. Like, I don't know, Arkansas or West Virginia, but it's not close. It's not a swing state. Um, and obviously we know everything that, ha- that has transpired over the last um, week a uh, few days with some level of suspense and then increasingly kind of no real suspense and then calling it and then uh, waiting a day or so for, for Trump to get started on trying to steal the election after the fact. So there's a lot to talk about. And uh, it is pretty remarkable, not surprising, but remarkable, the hold that Donald Trump continues to have on the Republican Party, and he has it on the Republican Party because he has it on Republican voters. I mean, we saw that. Um, I think, uh, you know, this was a this was a big win for Joe Biden. It was a pretty decisive win. He's going to end up winning by four or five percentage points in the in the national popular vote, which in our era of you know divided polarized government is a pretty big deal. I think it'll be substantially greater than uh, than Barack Obama's 
was in 2012. Probably not quite as I'm not sure. I think I think in his first election, Obama had like maybe like a seven point margin or something like that. Uh, so not close in the popular vote and not close in the Electoral College. Biden's going to have 70 plus electoral votes uh, over Trump. Uh, ironically, it will be exactly what Trump's was four years ago in reverse. And we know from Trump, who is the president of the United States and obviously, therefore, an expert on presidenting, that that is a historic landslide crushing margin of, of, of victory. And uh, but with all that, President Trump didn't just make a real run at it. He increased the number of voters that he had over four years ago. And that's not just because there are more people in the country. The population of the country has gotten larger. So kind of, you know, every, every almost every cycle, it's, you know, the kind of the most votes that any president has ever won and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but he turned out a lot of people. He held on to, you know, by and large, he held on to his supporters. He brought out new people who had not voted, maybe had not voted for him or had just not voted at all. Um, and that's a big deal. And that is a sobering deal because, you know, I think a lot of us who are critics of the president, opponents of the president, you know, you keep seeing this, this or that new thing and you're like, okay, that puts him beyond the pale. No one's going to take that. Uh, and yet, what we saw in this election is that very close to half the population saw everything we have seen over the last year, let alone the last four years, and said, you know what, I want more of that. Let's do that again. I, I, I've, I've, now, I've now seen the product and I'm ready to buy again. I want to renew. I want to renew for another season of Donald Trump. And that is, that's real sobering. For a lot of reasons, uh, this is the country we live in. A, a close to a majority, not a majority, but close, pretty close, certainly over 45% of the voting population sees this, sees all we have seen and wants to re-up. Now, if, if uh, Donald Trump had been running against Elizabeth Warren or, you know, AOC, right, that you would have at least thought, well, he had a lot to work at there. Maybe a lot of the, you know, maybe a lot of the country is still not ready for a woman. Maybe woman to be woman to be president, or maybe uh, you know he was able to kind of play on fears about socialism, or you know, kind of far left Antifa and stuff. But Joe Biden's like an old grandpa from Delaware, from fucking Delaware. I mean, they tried, right? Uh, but come on, he's an old grandpa from Delaware, and I mean, love him, love him. But you could even see in how the election played out, they weren't even trying to really make him scary. They were saying he's not scary, but he's so, he's so weak and feeble that the scary people are going to tell him what to do. So he's scary by proxy. 
But the point is, you can't, we can't say, well, it's not that they wanted more Trump. It's that, you know, it's that the Democrats nominated someone that you could play on all these fears. But that didn't happen. The Democrats nominated someone who was close to sort of like fear proof. Now, we can get into the unfairness of why Joe Biden may be fear proof, but we live in the country we do. And he is. And so the reality is Trump owns those people. And uh, we are still going to be living in that in that country. So that is uh, that is a sobering reality. And it means there's all sorts of uh, work to be done to uh, have any kind of a rebirth of democracy and commitment to equality in this country. So let me, before we move on, let me remind you, the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Iced Coffee, the best iced coffee uh, made anywhere in the world. Actually true. Like, you know, not, 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 not just uh, ad copy. Great stuff. You can order it at Grady'sColdBrew.com. You can get, you can back to get you a 20% uh, uh, discount on your first order by using the promo code TPM. Uh, but seriously, we, we drink the stuff. Everybody at TPM drinks the stuff. It's great stuff. I've been drinking it long, since long before uh, Grady's was a sponsor. So give it a try if you haven't, and uh, stock up for some more if, uh, if you've already tried it before. Remember, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Use the promo code TPM. Just the best stuff made and the sponsor of our show. David. So, yeah, thank you, Grady's, for getting us through the last week or two, honestly. I mean, that caffeine was essential. Well, I thought, Josh, if you could indulge me for just a minute before we get to the news. Um, We're coming up on the 20th anniversary of TPM, so I just wanted to wish you congratulations and us, Kate and I, and the rest of the team, by extension. um, Pretty amazing feat. And I I will say, um, you know, we got a lot of emails over the weekend, uh, you know, after the results were mostly clear. And then, you know, once Biden was declared the winner, just a lot of heartening messages from TPM readers writing in how they appreciate the coverage of this crazy last four years. And um, I just wanted to tell our listeners and readers, you know, that that means a lot to us. And Kate knows this, you know, I know this, Josh, you too, like we've all been working crazy hours. I mean, literally nonstop. In fact, even on Saturday after the the results were declared. It's not like we could rush out into the streets and celebrate with everyone. We worked until like 11 o'clock that night, basically. So just thank you to our, you know, to the audience who we, we do this for. And congrats to you, Josh. It's pretty amazing that 20 years later, you know, TPM is, is kind of as vibrant as it ever has been. So that's cool to see. Yeah, well, you know, and congratulations to you guys, because, you know, I, I'll tell you, one of the things that uh, is is most gratifying to me and makes me most happy is that it's not just about me. I mean, that's an understatement. This this whole organization is run by this crew of people, um, man, many of whom have, have been with us for a long time. David, you're, you know, kind of uh, very high on that uh, list, and you too, Kate. Um, and, you know, in terms of, you know, longevity, seniority with, with the organization. Uh, but seriously, that is, that, that is really the thing that, that makes me happiest about, about where the enterprise is, that it is a vibrant organization and institution 
that has its own life and character and creativity that, uh, you know, I, I like to think that I had a pretty big role in, 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 in starting it and giving it some of its, giving it some of its outlines, but it's, it's, it's not, not me, the one who's uh, doing it now. So, uh, congratulations to you two. Because, you know, I I, each day I I look to see what you guys are working on and, uh, you know, just uh, constantly fills me with pride. Appreciate that. All right. Well, Kate, let's um, let's turn to you. You've been writing this morning or doing some reporting on Trump's efforts to cast out and uh, delegitimize the results of the election, which he lost pretty handily, as Josh is mentioning. Uh, You've had a number of Trump's lackeys and congressional allies jump into the fold as well. We had. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell yesterday on the Senate floor saying that Trump has every right to pursue these legal challenges. And, you know, uh, we want every legal legal vote counted. And that's such a kind of thinly veiled term in its own right. Um, What's the latest you've seen on this front, Kate? Where does it go from here exactly? Just kind of catch us up on this whole crazy, uh, you know, next phase. Yeah. So one thing I've been reporting on is that Trump's campaign has never been shy with their email uh, fundraising blasts and tax blasts. And like throughout the campaign, you know, sometimes you'd get double digits of these, you know, per day. And they'd long been peddling just, you know, untrue things like donate now and you'll get a thousand percent match. You know, they were never matching any donations by a thousand percent. Do we, we, I I apologize for Mm -hmm. Do we know what that was about? I've never understood this. And just for our listeners, you get, if you get the Trump emails and say, if you donate today, it's a, you know, five X match, but like by who, like, do we know even (laughs) in theory what that was about? I have no idea. You know, when I was talking to some (laughs) campaign finance folks today, I asked about that, but you know, there's pretty loose regulation of the promises that campaigns can make to potential donors. So I guess they were just like, that would look, that would look enticing. And that, <laughs> that is, you know, where the, the thought stopped. But so now, you know, um, if you, in the past few days, we've seen some reporting that a lot of this, you know, support President Trump's uh, fight to keep the election from being stolen, his election defense fund, that a lot of that money was being funneled into paying down the debt of the Trump campaign. But that allocation formula changed this morning. So... Now, Trump has stood up this leadership pack, which is basically formed to be his, you know, his political post-presidency machine, basically, which will help him, um, you know, kind of keep power in the party, uh, keep fundraising off of his name, you know, keep him and his family prominent post-presidency. And he just, um, that's that's new. So the new fundraising emails send 60% of your contribution to this PAC, um, which can, you know, give to other candidates, can pay for, you know, fundraisers, travel expenses. Um, and then after you've maxed out your donation, there, the rest of your donation will go to the RNC, um, which, you know, can give in unlimited amounts to its associated organizations, which is, you know, the um, Senate committee and the House committee. So 
you know, and beyond all that, you have to spend upwards of $35,000 before your donation will then get sent to the RNC's legal defense fund, which by the way, is not in any way uh, you know, mandated to spend on behalf of Trump. They can spend on whatever candidate they want. But, you know, it's these fundraising blasts are being, you know, targeted at people to like help Trump stop this election being stolen. And then you go to the fine print and you're like, well, pretty much all this money at least could be funneled towards, say, the Georgia runoff elections. And there you kind of, I think, have a hint at why McConnell's so willing to go along with this legal stuff, you know, while the, the Georgia Republican candidates are going to war against their own Republican Secretary of State. And that's kind of because there's a big benefit to still standing with Trump, even when he's pretty clearly the loser by this point, because Trump is a fundraising powerhouse and they want that money. Well, wait, isn't there, uh, I mean, who, what entity right now is paying for these lawsuits? There is none. And there's none on, in these emails either. There isn't any one bucket that is pay actually, Trump doesn't have a legal defense fund. There is no entity that's doing that. So, so is it, is it kind of like the, the campaign? Right. Still? It, it yeah. is still the campaign. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. So You've kind of got this going on, which makes sense because, and I do, I do want to spend a moment on this because we haven't recorded since, but, you know, on Saturday after the networks made the call, there was just an explosion of jubilation in, you know, big cities especially, but also suburbs, you know, also even from Biden people in more, you know, more Trump country. Um, you know, here in DC, we found out about the call even before I checked my phone because the uproar that happened on the street outside my apartment. You know, we thought that like, we're like, what is happening? You know, what are people filming? And then it dawned, like everyone just got their push alert, you know? So, but it just, the, the climate being what it is, you know, there has to be some explanation for why Republicans are still so willing to latch themselves so firmly to Trump's wagon, even when he's the loser, you know? And, that explanation for McConnell and for these other Republican leaders, you know, it just makes sense. They want to wring Trump of all that he's worth, you know, and in this case, that worth is monetary. And both sides know that these Georgia runoff elections, you know, I talked to one expert in the state who estimates that this will be the first, you know, Senate elections that'll break a billion dollars. So they're going to be incredibly expensive. Wow. So, so the combined spending yeah. on both sides for both races, a billion dollars. That's his guess. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise. Wouldn't, no, wow. I mean, if you look at John Ossoff. Man, that's still a lot of money, though. I mean, so much money. Yeah. I mean, didn't, Biden, even, didn't Biden raise like a billion dollars? Yeah. For like the whole campaign? So, yeah, but it just... Because I think for some people, for some of us who have kind of lived this emotional roller coaster, saw this outpouring of catharsis this weekend. And, you know, a lot of TPM readers wrote in with that, too, with their experiences from everywhere from, you know, Anchorage to, to North Carolina. This kind of collective sigh of four years of like rage and sadness. And then you kind of return to Twitter and you're like, oh, OK, so Republicans are going to pretend that. You know, they're not going to call Biden president-elect. The administration is tying up his transition funds. And, you know, you kind of divine from these fundraising emails or these other shenanigans that 
there is, st is still something for Republicans in standing with Trump, even though his legal arguments are being laughed out of court and the ballots being contested are in such small amounts that it wouldn't even, you know, change the calculus of the race. Isn't it? I mean, the the thing that strikes me is that as long as I mean, if he if he just said, oh, you know, I I don't feel like I was treated fairly, but I you know, but I lost and okay, blah blah blah, you know, kind of sad sack and 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 walked away, then you would you would have every you know every wannabe successor to Trump coming forward and saying, I love Donald Trump. I'm the most devoted Trump, blah, 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 blah. And uh, I may be running for president in 2024 to uh, continue the legacy of our great president, uh, Generalissimo Trump. Uh, <laughs> but to the extent that he, A, is, is just insisting that he didn't lose and setting up a, a narrative that it was stolen from him that it was stolen from him by all the bad people and, you know, almost that he still is the legitimate president, right? He, Biden may be occupying the White House. To the extent he sets that up, no one, anybody who tries, anybody within the Republican Party who tries to to sort of, you know, kind of turn the page on him, not, 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 um, uh, God, what, what word am I looking for? You know, not, not denounce him, not to, uh, you know, kind of turn away from him, but, you know, who's next? That person's toast because Trump's there to like, dude, there's no next. I'm still here. And and in, so anybody who tries to do, you know, he's just kind of frozen everything in place. And he's already, it seems like, at least putting out there that he is seriously considering running for president again in four years, which gets to be, I mean, I guess we can't say it's impossible since he'll be the age that Joe Biden is now. Um, but still, right, that's, that's, that's a while. Um, and, uh, and, and I get, you know, Kate, you're saying he's, I guess he's set up some version of like, you know, Trump Rorty's USA, you know, kind of some like, you know, kind of permanent super PAC, uh, that, that is a sort of a para party. Um, that to me seems like the the big thing. I'm curious, Josh and Kate, what your take is on this. Do you think um, does that shine eventually wear off for Trump? His cult of personality, his ability to just you know turn out and rile up his supporters and and thus control the Republican Party in totality. Does that wear off? And yeah, we're talking about okay, maybe in four years he's going to run, but four years is a long time from now, and he won't, you know, maybe he'll be able to hold kind of random rallies and pass out hats and all that kind of stuff. But do you think, um, is there lasting power in that? Or do you see it diminishing as, you know, Biden takes office, the news media moves on from him and kind of life goes on? I'm just curious what your take is on that. I mean, I personally thought that after Trump lost, I didn't think he was ever going to concede or ever admit that he lost the election fairly. You know, we have nothing that we've experienced in the past four years to point towards that. But I kind of always thought he would go silo himself in some kind of TV empire that's more far right than Fox and just kind of spend his days re-celebrating the 2016 election and talking about it forever because that's what he's most happy doing. So, you know, why not? But... With the, the staying power of Trump, you know, 
our colleague Josh Kavinsky and I were tasked with uh, writing the Trump wins pre-write. And we were- fun assignment, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, we were talking to people who specialize in declining democracies. After after a few weeks, you guys should like talk to to like David and see if you can we can find a way to publish that. Yeah, we've been right? kind of discussing sort, that sort maybe of like on an inauguration amber, right? or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, when when the wounds aren't so raw right, still. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you know we were kind of talking about experts in authoritarianism and these people who study it who have identified the growing strain within the Republican Party. You know, for a while pre-Trump and how Trump has kind of grown out of that, but how win or lose, Trump has so empowered the authoritarian strain of the party. Um, and you know, in some ways, these people do mesh with traditional Republicans um, in that they, you know, they tend to be anti-immigration, um, you know, and things like that. But where, uh, you know, very um, law and order, return to traditionalism, like kind of the way that the the Republican Party has molded itself, you know, since the '60s, that became much more attractive to these type of voters. But you know, where they differ from traditional voters is that they're much more willing to greenlight extreme government action to bring us back to that social status quo. Um, So in those ways and the ways that Trump has allowed that strain to take over the party, you know, whether that be in using federal troops to quash the protests or, you know, using the Department of Justice as his own private cudgel, you know, those are norms that have been broken now, you know, that the next person who does it won't be the first person who does it. So in some ways, I think Trump's legacy will is wrenching the party to the right and giving that that authoritarian group mo- more of a voice um, because there, there are so many people within the party who would die for Trump, you know, no question, who love him more than anything. Um, but as for a run in four years, I don't know. Maybe I'm being naive. Maybe I'm still underestimating these people's devotion for him. But I just, I can't see it. I don't know. Josh, what do you think? I, I you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I, I've, I've, you know, I, I've counted out a lot of ideas of things he, he might do. Right. Um, I, I think, I mean, to me, I guess the way I see it is that whether or not it is going to happen from the vantage point of trying to understand Trump is almost not the point because I don't think he has any idea. But if he puts it out there, that gives him leverage over the whole political dynamic. And that is the, that is the thing. And, um, he, he can, you know, he never liked being president the actual job of being president clearly bored him. Um, he, he, it, it bored him, right? The, the, the work of it actually bored him. So in, in some ways, it's, you know, being sort of like, uh, you know, exiled president, as it were, is almost the best of both worlds. He doesn't have to do any of the work, but he still has the power, certain aspects of the power. And the other thing that I, that is very high, I think a big, big part of the real story here is that to the extent that he pushes this to a point of crisis, that he maintains that he is a central political figure in the country, 
that he believes that he can get something like immunity for himself and his family. Because to the extent that he's an active political player, any criminal prosecution against him is like interfering with the political process. And the other, the other part of that is to the extent that, you know, we get into kind of deeper into a political crisis in December or into January, I think he is counting on, and maybe rightly, that a lot of people in the country, a lot of Democrats will say like, you know, we're too close to the brink. It's not worth it. We can't, you know, can't do it. Or maybe even that he thinks it'll be some sort of grand bargain. He'll and he'll literally get immunity. I, I don't know. But I do think that is a big, big part of this. Mm-hmm. I think and that's I, a good point. I do just want to say one thing, which is I think ever since impeachment, there's been this, even before impeachment, there's been this idea that you know, establishment Republicans or congressional Republicans are just dying to get rid of Trump, that they hate being yoked to him and these, you know, crazy worldviews. But what choice do they have? The voters elected him, you know, and that is just garbage and has been garbage for a long time and just gives these people cover to pretend that they don't endorse, you know, his racism or sexism and all manners of crudeness. But, you know, now we have what in that scenario would be, you know, Republicans dream, right? Trump has been repudiated. Uh, He's these kind of legal threats that we've been worried about for a long time so far have been pretty comical, you know, and pretty useless. Um, You know, what the perfect time for these Republicans to be like, that's that he lost, you know, congratulations, president elect Biden, we're going to spend our time fighting tooth and nail for these Senate seats, you know, to go back to the old Republican ways of obstruction kind of thing. But we've had what, four senators maybe willing to cross the Rubicon of calling Biden the president elect, you know, and you've got others funneling to Chris Coons, you know, Tell Biden, uh, congratulations, but I, I can't say it publicly yet. <laughs> even the str- even the strong man in Turkey, Erdogan, congratulated Biden right. today, right? Even Benjamin Netanyahu. It's like even these but, world you know, leaders it, who are. It, it's funny with Netanyahu though, and I've I've been watching this in the, in the Israeli press that he's saying, you know, look forward to working with you. We're peeps from the you know from back yeah. in the day, but he will not call him president elect. Hmm. He has not called him president-elect. Just so a sort of general congrats and Yeah, whatever. yeah, that you can kind of say, like, well, you know, thought we might work on some uh, nonprofit together, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, just to kind of keep it, to not push it a little too far um, with Trump. But the thing, you know, to your point, Kate, he, you know, if, if he had, if he had, if this race had been like 60-40, like a devastating rebuke, then maybe you have some, even if they love Trump, they might be saying like, oh, you know, kind of let's go back to the old days. But I think what was, what was more probable, something that one could have seen would be to say, man, Trump did so much for us. He shook things up. He, he, he rejuvenated our party. He, all the kind, you know, all this kind of stuff. Love Trump. I hope you're going to have a great retirement and I'm going to come see you in uh, Mar-a-Lago all the time because you did, you know, kind of to sanitize him or not to, not to sanitize him, but to cocoon him in history. You know, Trump, love you. You did great stuff. 
so sorry it didn't pan out and you lost and you're not long you're you know you're no longer in the political process that was that would um you know that would sort of be in that model but as you say kate you know there's a at the end and this is the thing i think that that many people don't realize i find myself not realizing it sometimes that when we say like well you know the the politicians is one thing but you know republican party bunch of old white dudes you know got that's that's trump's base well who's the, who are the electeds they're a bunch of old white dudes who watch fox news right <laughs> it's sort of like this thing that people had when people were like oh bill barr what happened to bill barr i i what happened to bill barr you know institutionalist good guy well you know Bill Barr, you know, what is there to find out? Bill Barr is a conservative, white, Christian man who watches Fox News all the time. What do you expect? Of course he's, of course he's going to be like that. Can I make a point about Fox News? Because this is something I've actually been really interested in observing and watching over the last week or so, which, which is them kind of trying to stuff the genie of Trump back into the bottle, right? And, um, you know, I think the the call for Arizona early on election night, you know, 11.30 p.m., but much earlier than other networks, was a really important moment. There was some reporting in Vanity Fair that Trump called Rupert Murdoch and demanded that he retract that uh, call, and Murdoch said, nope, not going to do that. You know, Fox had the decision desk director at Fox, Aaron Mishkin, I think is his name, I had think, to go on. I think on, Arnon. Like, Arnon, sorry. Yeah. Not, had to go yeah. on... Um, had to go on TV over and over again and just like repeat the same uh, comments over and over again. I'm sorry, but the president is just not going to make up this deficit. And I think since then you have seen, you know, kind of the more traditional Fox, uh, you know, news journalists, Brett Baer, Martha McCollum, Neil Cavuto, to an extent, really pushing back on the Trump line. And um, I think that's had like a big effect. They're not really buying into this yet. You know, Kaylee McEnany was on, Fox last week, maybe Wednesday night, maybe Thursday night. And she was totally contradicting herself. And Martha McCollum was kind of like, wait, so you don't want votes before Election Day to be counted? And she's like, no, no, we do. We do. And then she's like, we just don't want the ones after Election Day counted. And she's like, OK, well, what about military ballots? Those have always arrived after Election Day. Oh, no, no, we want those counted, too. And like, you know, it just kind of exposed the weakness of the argument. And yesterday, famous, you know, famously in this moment, Neil Cavuto cut off one of the Kayleigh McEnany press conferences and said, whoa, 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 I think we need to remind our listeners, uh, there's no proof of any of this going on. And so, I don't know, I, I sort of, you could see it going another direction and Fox buying into this kind of bullshit Trump line and riling a bunch of people up. And that could really add fuel to the fire. And so far, they're not. And like, you know, I'm not trying to give too much credit to Fox, but I do think that's having an effect. And I, I wonder if they can hold that line as people like McConnell, like Bill Barr, come out and really endorse Trump's uh, efforts here. But I'm curious, do you, have you guys noticed that? Or is that on your radar? Or what do you make of kind of how that's been going you so know, far? I, I was talking to uh, some Republicans about this, and, and they're very, you know, they're, well, obviously, the, the people I'm talking about are, these are pretty partisan Republicans, but they're not Trump Republicans. Um, you know, pretty pumped kind of like, oh, people trash Fox News, but they're keeping it real. And and, and what it brought out to me is that it is really, uh, you know, there's always been some uh, division between the sort of the daytime, you know, kind of news people and the nighttime crazy, but it has really wrenched that open. 
because like you know a couple nights ago I, I was watching Hannity and he's got Newt on and stuff and 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 they're saying like you know kind of send in federal troops to like confiscate the ballots and stuff and I was like wow like even I'm a little surprised like man Hannity what's going on here you know just just like crazy stuff uh, and and it's still you know kind of crazy light daytime but it is a it is a significant cleavage and even the new york post is starting to turn on trump too right i mean you see the whole murdoch media empire making this switch in real time which has been pretty interesting well, have you guys been following this thing with judge janine that she got bounced for the weekend because of some sort of like she was gonna have you guys seen this i didn't see that no it's it, it's kind of been tumbling around out there supposedly uh, they suspended her for the weekend, um, l- last weekend. And I, I take it that she was just gonna, you know, she wanted to do something that was just too much for them, you know, which is saying a lot, you know, I mean, saying quite a lot considering, um, uh, you know, that they've, that they've, they certainly haven't reined in. I mean, maybe Hannity's too big, right? Maybe they can't, maybe they can't rein in Hannity, but, uh, yeah. And there was some question about whether she's going to be back this weekend or, but clearly, you know, and there's been that thing with Murdoch, right? The kind of, and, and Murdoch himself is, is quite old at this point. And I can't remember which of his sons is, you know, there's Lach- one Lachlan is the one running it. And he's sort of a libertarian kind of guy. And then the other guy, the, the other brother is supposedly somewhat liberal. James, right. Is right. Um, liberal, yeah. But, uh, but I guess there's some, you know, some, you know, wanting to, to get a little, uh, uh, freedom of maneuver, but yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. I mean, on the one hand, I'd say, you know, yay, that they're not spreading this on all hours of their network, you know, wahoo. But I don't know, maybe I'm being cynical, but I'm calling me kind of unimpressed that it seems that Fox is trying to salvage some journalistic integrity here at the 11th hour when they're not so married to Trump that they're you know. And it's not even the eleventh hour; it's the next day. Right, right, right. exactly. <laughs> it's like you know, Trump is the the popular girl in school who something really embarrassing just happened to, and now the clique gets to be a little independent, gets to maybe not do everything Trump says anymore. You know, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm glad that they're not being as big a purveyor of falsehoods and you know calls to violence as they usually are, but. I just would not want us to spend much time, you know, piling praise on Fox News, which is, you know, as I see it, if not number one in the top three reasons why our democracy almost came crumbling down this election. So, you know, good job, guys. Keep it up. I've got zero <laughs> faith in you. So. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. Well, I and, think that's and, fair. and it's also, David, that it, it, the, the standard we're applying is just an occasional sort of mild did you wait let me understand did you mean that when they're saying something totally absurd and insane i mean it's not it really is like i mean i would say chris wallace is the person who who if fox were like chris wallace then you'd say like okay pretty right wing but like you know keeping it somewhat legit 
but yeah, I mean, all these people prepare, even that thing with Cavuto yesterday, kind of like, because did you, I don't know if you noticed that probably everybody saw the first clip uh, with him saying, oh, we can't, no, 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 we won't have that. That afterwards he's like, I'm not saying that the whole election wasn't stolen. We just, I just want to wait a little more, a little while to get the, get the evidence. <laughs> right. Yeah. I love I'm, Trump. I don't think I don't love Trump. Right. right. I mean, it was, it was you know, even, even that sort of like, uh, you know, kind of blow up moment was so like attenuated and mm-hmm. caveated as as almost to that be you know th- that being the bigger story right the required and I mean, caveats and the whole you know they're embraced too of this new terminology legal ballot which is already becoming you know loaded with racist implications and anti-city implications you know just like real american it's it's the same category so yeah, I mean, I think their their willingness to push back a little bit is notable in that it shows that Trump has been, you know, kneecapped, that he is now, he's a lame duck president. That That is what it is. But, you know, I'm sure they are rubbing their hands together in anticipation for a Biden administration and getting totally. to talk about Hunter 24-7. That was my, that was part of my thinking too, is that, I could see them making a business calculation to be like, you know what? A Biden presidency would be pretty good for us because we totally. get to go back to like, he's the villain. Yep. AOC is whispering in his ear, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's a cynical craven move. And Fox is a business and they make something like a billion dollars in profit a year. And, you know, they want to hang on to that. So I could totally see that being part of the reasoning too. Mm-hmm. I, I was struck by, you know, a business that does not make a billion dollars a year is the New York Post. New York Post is money losing. It's, it's lost money forever. I mean, even before uh, Murdoch got it. I haven't, I haven't checked it out in the last couple of days, but I was struck in, in, I mean, especially after their role in that Hunter Biden, you know, uh, laptop stuff that in the, in the first days after the election, they had these like front pages, like, Rock and Joe Biden, a breath of fresh air. It's Joe right. time. Yeah. yeah, it's Joe time. I mean, it wasn't, it was, it was, it wasn't just like Fox, like not kind of, you know, accepting every last thing. It was like, you know, like the Joeington Post, right? It was like, it was like Joe rocks all of a sudden. And I, and I was struck by, you know, my sense is that I don't know, but my sense is that, uh, you know, Fox News is a is a big institutional thing. Uh, I think it's probably somewhat difficult for Murdoch just to call up, said, "Nope, not happening." Sh- you know, shift on a dime. He can, but I that's I think that's complicated. And I suspect New York Post he can do anything he wants. We just call in a front page, and you know. So I I think that you know because it's it's a it's a funny kind of thing. It's, it's a, it's a very conservative paper in a very liberal city. Um, it's a money losing operation. It's sort of a, you know, a, uh, a vanity project in, in some ways. So he can probably, you know, kind of turn the wheel a little more effortlessly there than he does, you know, than he can with Fox, even though Ailes isn't there anymore. Yeah. Um, all right, Kate, maybe you can close this out. What else, what else are you kind of looking for on the horizon, either in these Trump efforts to continue to cast doubt or, you know, even I know you're, you're closely tracking the Senate, um, 
we have Alaska still outstanding. Mm -hmm. We have the runoffs coming up. Just some, any closing thoughts on kind of what our listeners should be on the lookout for? Yeah, I mean, Senate-wise, I wrote up yesterday about Al Gross in Alaska, which, and that race has kind of garnered some attention, mostly, I think, out of Democratic desperation. Um, you know, it, it got some attention at the end of the cycle because there was a, a few polls that put the race much closer than people had thought. And, um, you know, with the caveat that Alaska is notoriously very difficult to poll, um, and that being said, amid our general polling landscape right now, but, you know, and that brought a lot of money into the race. And, um, you know, Al Gross is weird. He's he's so Alaska. He's killed a grizzly bear. He's both a commercial fisherman and an orthopedic surgeon. You know, he's just, he seems it's to funny. fit. It's funny. I have, I have two cousins who live in Alaska. One is a doctor, one is a nurse, and they're both very outdoorsy like that, too. Yeah. So I guess that's sort of the mold, maybe. Yeah. Right. Also, why, why else would you be there? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're exactly, not yeah. if you're not into like hanging out with grizzly bears, why would you no, be right. in Alaska? I know they catch like hundred pound halibut and stuff like that. Right. Just um, you know, all that good stuff. And you know, he's an independent who got the DNC's endorsement kind of thing. So all that added up to like, you know, maybe we have a sleeper race in Alaska. And then after we saw the disappointments in Maine and North Carolina, the race started taking on even more interest. Um, and we're at the point where today is when Alaska will start counting all their absentee ballots and a good chunk of their early vote. And there's still over 40% of the vote outstanding, which is the other way for, you know, Al Gross's campaign to say, we don't know anything yet, even though he's tailing um, Dan Sullivan by quite a lot right now. Um, and, you know, I kind of dug into the numbers and long story short is unless there is you know, unless these mail-in ballots are for gross by like 80%, you know, he's just, he's not going to win. Alaska is a, is a red state with a, an occasional independent streak. But, you know, I think the path to democratic salvation lies much more in Georgia. And even there, I do think the Democrats are the underdogs. Um, but, you know, taking into account the unprecedented attention and money and organizing we're going to see go down in that state, it'll be the rare special election where, Democrats are as paying as much attention as Republicans, which is still, you know, a kind of a modern Trump era phenomenon, you know, like Ossoff's race in 2017, you know, Democrats yeah, really cared Jones, because, of, right, right, because they're the first chances to show how you felt about Trump before Trump was on the ballot. Kate, from your reporting on Georgia, mm -hmm. do, do, is there some consensus that one or the other of the Democrats, even if they're both underdogs, that one or the other is like, oh, that's the one who's going to win if either of them win? Well, I think the dynamic is more that it's harder to tell with the Warnock race, right? Because he had the two Republicans running against him the whole time. So I think, you know, to the degree that there is any certainty, I think it's just that there are more X variables in that race because we we haven't seen all the way like how unpopular Loeffler is. And I think there might be more interest in that race also because if you look at Martha McSally's fate, these, you know, appointed senators have not been faring very well recently. Um, so, you know, that's kind of my take just from my my initial stabs at it. Um, and also because Ossoff is a little mo more of a known figure um, and he has had a runoff disappointment before. But, you know, this is we're like at this weird turning point where all, you know, we had everybody like caring and donating and being so laser focused on this election. And then Biden wins like explosion of, you know, 
relief and joy. And I think now we're starting to get into the place where people are maybe willing to get into the fray again to start paying attention to realize that Georgia is another huge risk, huge reward. But um, I think, I don't know, from what I've kind of just sensed of like calling people and doing this reporting, those wheels are <laughs> turning a little bit slowly. I think people are trying to bask in, in the wind a little bit before we turn back to, and here's the other, you know, critical fight for our democracy on the horizon. It, it it does seem to me that that um, Loeffler, uh, A, she's never been elected, mm-hmm. so there's no proof of concept. Purdue seems like a pretty, not terribly popular, but kind of, you know, uh, reasonably experienced and skilled politicians, you know, made his way to the Senate, blah, 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 blah. Um, she's, she still has that insider trading stuff kind of mm-hmm. hanging over her. And there's just all, there, there was just all this kind of, I mean, my sense of her has been, she's just a Wall Street type. You know, she owned a WNBA team. She's, you know, for all I know, I, you know, it's highly questionable to me whether she's even a conservative beyond tax cuts, you know, that kind of Wall Street stuff. But she has she has needed to be the, you know, the ultimate Trump sycophant. Uh, and it just it looks pretty phony. I mean, wasn't she out there kind of like literally like trashing her own the members of her own team? Like her WNBA team, like they oh, got yeah. into sort of Black Lives Matter stuff. Um, and she was like, oh, don't hate America. I mean, just there's a lot of weird stuff about her. I, she doesn't yeah. seem like a particularly strong candidate, uh, although, you know, obviously y- you may not need to be. It's yeah. just D's and R's at this point. Right. I mean, and not to mention she had a pretty vicious intra-party battle with Doug, Doug Collins to even get into the runoff. Like that was a no-holds-barred going for each other's throats kind of thing. Um, you know, and it's never good for a general election candidate to sustain body blows during the primary. But, you know, something I'm curious and will be looking for is how much Democrats seek to lump Loeffler and Purdue together. Because to some degree, you're right, Josh, in that she's appointed, she's already had kind of a scandal. Um, but Purdue has also has you know, fraud stuff about his hedge fund in the background. Like he is not by any means a kind of working class Joe. They're both the prototypical super rich Republicans. So, you know, I've been kind of wondering how much they'll be lumped together and then how much Republicans will do the same to Ossoff and Warnock. Cause you know, the big thing against Ossoff has been that he, his documentary company has partnered with like a a company from Hong Kong before, which was enough for Purdue to decide he was a communist. Like that was a big thing. And a big thing against Warnock is that he like hates the police, you know, which, you know, (laughs) the racial subtext there kind of clobbers you over the head. But so I'll be interested to see how, how much these two races are stuck together. And it, it kind of makes sense because for Democrats, to be honest, who cares if you win one and not the other? You're in the same position. You you got to win both, you know? So that, that will be something that I will be interested in. Um, yeah. All right. Well, that's a good place to leave it, I think. Well, I do. I want to say one thing before we end, because I know we spent a lot of time on the problems in the future, which is important. But l- looping back to that pre-write Josh and I wrote, the fact that Trump 
lost this election is like a very big deal and not just in a D's versus R's ways, but in a if we were to keep going as a democracy or not kind of way. And, you know, we're in journalism and you focus on the problems that need attention and that, you know, are bad for people. That's the nature of the business. But I do think it, it behooves all of us and our readers to kind of take a step back and realize that we were at on the precipice of something that would have been absolutely disastrous. And we stepped back because of enormous voter turnout for Biden, people willing to stand in lines and to overcome voter suppression tactics that Republicans have been putting in place for years. And that is a that's a very, very big deal. And, you know, it's going to mean a lot for people's civil rights, you know, for the thousands of people who won't die of COVID now, for the people who are being held in ICE detention. The fact that our our planet does not have four years, does, just doesn't have four years before we are on a completely irreversible path. So this, this election was a really big deal. And the Senate's going to be a fight, you know, and we have many battles upcoming. But America chose to save herself in this election. And uh, that's that's just bears repeating, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's well said. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I'm glad I'm really glad you sort of, uh, you know, uh, finished us on on, on that note, because it's really it's really true. And, you know, I'm seeing some people say, yeah, but like it was close. You know, it shouldn't have been that close. A lot of people voted for him, blah, 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 blah. But the point is that shows you how important it is because it was hard. It was really hard and it was always going to be hard. And it took so many people giving every last measure of their energy and their dedication and their money and their, you know, working the phones. It was not going to be easy. And yet the country did it. And that is just a huge thing for all the problems. It's a huge thing. You're absolutely right, Kate. Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. <laughs> well, you know, come on. Uh, remember, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee is a sponsor of the Josh Marshall Podcast. Uh, you can get it at Grady'sColdBrew.com. Use the promo code TPM for a 20% discount if it is your first order. It's great stuff. Give it a try. All right. Great All to right. talk to you both. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Later, folks. Bye. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.